Well, uh, welcome everybody to this podcast here, The Care of Souls, Cultivating a Pastor's Heart by Harold Sinkville, which I suppose is how you pronounce his name. I, I don't know. Damn, she, you have an idea on how to pronounce uh, Harold's name? What you just said is the most pronunciation I've ever seen of it. I haven't even attempted. Yeah, yeah I'm not sure. You, the most pronunciation you've seen, but uh, you should, yeah, I assume you mean heard, but it's it's an after late in the after Marshall don't don't get don't don't get don't get started here. <laughs> well, that's part of why I picked you uh you know talking about doing this podcast a couple of reasons. One, you have been around here for a long time both as a student as a staff member you were here for combining those two for over 16 years and then as well just cuz you're a good friend. Uh so you love CSF, uh, I love you. I I hope that's returned. And so uh, just, you know, somebody who served as a pastor and, and now in Austin. At Dams, for a few people, maybe staff who don't know you, obviously some older staff do, but maybe some of the younger staff, just tell them, just give them the 30-second the spiel, Matt Dampier, life and as a pastor. Yeah, life as a pastor. So, um, Marshall. Or you, or your your history. Yeah. And I, I return it. Love you too, brother. Um, I grew up, so grew up in the South, Alabama, Nashville, eventually landed at Kentucky. I became a believer at CSF, um, was baptized at CSF. My girlfriend became a believer at CSF, was baptized at CSF and we got married and I worked, uh, started to go towards the medical field, did my MCAT and just felt like the Lord was saying this, maybe an invitation into vocational ministry. So I worked at CSF for one year, your first year at CSF, and um, had a roller coaster of a year looking back, but also just felt this this call, this continued call from the Lord into vocational ministry. So one year turned into two years, two years turned into 13 years. I got my master's of divinity at Asbury Seminary, and now I'm working as a pastor uh, down here in Austin, Texas. Uh, and I've got three kids, 12, nine, and three years old. That's pretty good. That's pretty concise. Nice job. So was that thirty seconds? Uh, a little bit longer, thirty seconds. That's close enough. That they, it's good. It's good for people to get to know you, and, and obviously people get to hear you, get to know you, because I think uh, as we discuss what it is to be a pastor, um, I think pastoring is inherently personal, and so it is a, mm-hmm. it, it is you are living out who you are uh, in in front of people, for people, with people, uh, and so you know they're, they're going to get to see and hear you in a really unique way. But I think in a in a pretty knowing you, knowing that you're, you know, a, a guy who kind of is lives, you know, just everything's kind of on the sleeve with you. Not everything, but but you tend to be pretty transparent. So they'll they'll get a good sense of who you are here. So hey, so here's kind of the format that that we're gonna do with this book is, uh, you know, we're just gonna kind of walk through and even uh, page by page uh, a bit. And we we won't cover every page, but uh, I've just made some key notes. Is this just kind of a reading a reading? I don't know what we want to call it a reading guide, a reading aid. Uh, there'll be things we miss, but hopefully for people who are reading this, the staff who are reading this, it'll be something that gives them a chance to say, hey, and I, I missed that in the text because I, I know today I was even reading, I was listening to a talk on uh, a chapter on Vanity Fair in Pilgrim's Progress and, and just 
listening to this guy talk about that chapter, it was just so helpful for me to see what was in there. Uh, I'm sure he missed things and didn't get everything right about the chapter, but it was really helpful to unpack that chapter in Pilgrim's Progress for me. And so hopefully we do the same kind of on a chapter-by-chapter basis for people who are reading this book, and hopefully it sparks good conversations with our staff. But more than anything, I hope it gives them a sense of the identity of, of, of who they have been called to be here, and out of extension of that, of what they're called to do at CSF. But I hope, I hope it is a, a sense of who they get a sense of who they're called to be at CSF on staff, and then uh, and then out beyond there. And who knows, maybe somebody, someone else, if out there in digital land picks this up and listens to this, maybe it'll be helpful for them too. But but our aim here is for the CSF staff to give them a sense of uh, of pastoral identity as as they work here. Does that sound good? Hey, I love it. And to the CSF staff, I would just say, I pray for you every Thursday night, pray for the staff and I pray for your ministry. And I'm just so in awe of who who your staff is. They're wonderful people. I haven't met them all, but every time I'm around CSF or getting to hang out with you know some of the older ones, the, the Lydia's and the type, I just am so in awe of the type of ministry they get to have and lead. It's matters. It's impactful. It's wonderful. God, like loving work. Yeah, it's definitely impactful, even as we're recording this. The last uh, Thursday night we had here of the semester, last Synergy, it was impactful on our floor. We literally cracked the floor of, <laughs> uh, I heard about of this. the room, and I, it, it was scary. In fact, I started playing loud music afterwards, and I, it was a grandpa moment for me where I was like, turn the music off. We cannot have people dancing and jumping up and down in here because the floor is literally cracked, which we have since fixed. But um, Okay, well, let's jump. Oh, yeah, yeah also, ahead. not the first time you've ever done that. I was going to say, not the first time you've ever done that on a uh, on a floor. Rooftop Rave, I think, did Rooftop that a couple Rave, years back. Yes, Tater, our beloved one of our beloved CSFers of your Tater was, I think, a freshman that year on crutches up there. And yeah, the roof the rooftop uh, mm-hmm. the rooftop started swaying on top of the parking garage next to the library. Yeah, that was that was pretty. That was even scarier than that because I mean that that whole parking structure was threatening to come down. At least this was just you know if it did collapse, it'd only be a few feet down to the parking lot uh, here. But okay, so let's let's do this. Uh, our first episode here is I just want us to cover our forward preface and introduction because I know a lot of times people want to jump in and just hey let's start with chapter one. But I think with any book, in fact, I, some, one of the things I often do is sometimes I'll skip to the back of a book and just read the acknowledgments uh, if they're if they're sometimes printed in the back of who does this person thank who was influential for this person uh in terms of how they how this book came to be and so i I think it's easy to skip over those things but i think there's some real richness and goodness and 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 we don't have to again cover everything but one of the things even in michael horton who writes the the foreword here horton's a, a theologian and uh i suppose a philosopher technically by training but kind of a philosophical theologian and he uh, he writes the foreword talking about you know this this book and why it's important and one of the things even on page 13 I'll try to make page references as much as I can if somebody wants to look at anything but we, we may not make all the page references uh, that we need to but uh, he talks about you know why is there so much technique and so little to aid those who aspire to be more than anything else shepherds of Christ's flock and you know I think a lot of times we do just want to rush to the what, uh, and we get we get ahead of ourselves, and we we start asking questions. What do I need to do? What are the techniques? What are the the kind of the outward manifestations? What kind of music do we need to play? Uh, what kind of things do we need to do? And I just want us to stop and get get 
behind that or before that question maybe and say, who is, who is Christ calling us to be? I think for me, as much as anything with this book is I want staff to have a real sense of I'm not just someone here that comes and works on a particular team. I serve pancakes. I uh, help lead shift. I'm, you know, help oversee small groups or I, you know, what, whatever it is, I help out with retreats. As important as all those things are, I, I don't want us to primarily focus on technique. It's not that technique and, and particular aspects of practical wisdom, if you want to use, you know, uh, technique is kind of that sort of definition of, you know, uh, practical expression of wisdom uh, with various things. I want us to emphasize uh, the, the richer element of who it is that, that it is to be uh, someone in pastoral work. W- would you agree with that, Dams? I would. I was thinking about this for your staff and just thinking that uh, it might be strange for staff to consider themselves pastors, to say, like, this is what I'm called to do. I thought I was just flipping pancakes. I thought I was just doing these things. But I think when you step into work at CSF, you are stepping into a vocation, not just a stepping onto staff, but into a vocation where you are called to care for the souls of others. Um, that's scary. And there is no great manual, like you just pointed out, there's no great manual for how to do it. It's much more, the word that they use on page 15 in the Ford uh, is the habitus, the Mm -hmm. disposition towards something, the disposition. We're going to talk a lot about that, I'm sure, in chapter one, but um, that's what I appreciate so much about this is the why behind the pastor. Uh, Why why are you pastor and and not so much technique, but your heart before God, the sheepdog. I, I love that image that he uses. Yeah, one of the things that I I had thought that would probably come up, and here it is coming up in the first few minutes here, is that term pastor. And I think for a lot of people, that's that's a scary word. And, you know, I, it gets used in a lot of different denominational contexts in different ways. I mean, in some, in some uh, you know, Protestant evangelical types of settings, I mean, you can just show up and become a Christian and, hey, three weeks later, you're a pastor. You know, if, if the right people say you, that's who you are, that's that's who you are. In other traditions, it takes years of training, oftentimes, you know, a, a master's level education in biblical studies, various things like this, uh, theology, to, to, to gain that title pastor. Um, and so I, I really kind of want to say, and, and even in the uh, foreword, or, or actually, uh, I think it's in the, in the preface, he says, you know, that this book really isn't necessarily just for pastors. It's for anyone who's in the business of, of the care of souls. And so for me, I, I want to kind of, you know, push off that, uh, in fact, even, you know, I know you just quoted from uh page, whatever it was there, Dams 14, 15, 15, I think, in, in Roman numeral 15. But um, but even skipping over a couple pages on 17, Roman numeral 17, he says, uh, now that you've opened the cover, you can be sure I wrote this book just for you. You could be a pastor, a student, or someone simply interested in how God forms shepherds of souls. And so that's where I want staff to not get freaked out by that word. Uh, you know, I I tend to probably be a little more reserved. I don't know that I necessarily think of, and, and I'd be curious what your thoughts are on this. I don't know that I think of 
of everyone on staff at CSF as a quote-unquote pastor in the strictest sense of that term. But I think we're all called to pastoral-type work. I do think we're all probably spiritual directors. I think anyone who's a Christian who is in the business of uh, you know helping other people grow, which is every Christian's calling— is a, at least a spiritual director, because when someone comes to you and goes, hey, I'm, what should I do in this situation? What should I do about who I should date or money I should give or a sin I'm struggling with? Well, whatever advice you give them, you just give them spiritual direction. So whether or not you're a, a technical pastor, I think is to some degree irrelevant. And so I would just encourage people not to, not to freak out about that. And also, I, I would still probably want to hold out that that probably is a unique office that everyone probably doesn't need to apply to themselves. You want me? To, you want me to give you feedback on that? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Just say sure, I so, yeah. agree. I mean, well, no, you can you can agree, disagree, whatever. I mean, well, there's there's know, certainly bring things. Your, bring your Anglican, bring your Anglican background to bear. See, here, that's so. that's why we call ourselves priests, so it doesn't uh, confuse this term pastor so much, right? Like that's yeah. But I would say yeah, I would say there is something. So, it, like many things, it's like I, I want to say like both and. Um, I agree with you. Yeah, there is a pastoral office and there is something like very early in the pandemic. I, um, I got this huge sign. In fact, Sam Coons printed up for me like a, a six foot vertical sign and I put it up in my neighborhood and I, I had pastoral office hours on my street where in our tradition, the Anglican tradition, I'm wearing a collar and wearing this black shirt or whatever. And, uh, and it said, Hey, got questions about God in the pandemic sit down and talk at a safe distance or six feet away or whatever. And people would, would sit down and, and do this with me. And, um, and the reason I wore that collar is because it, it just kind of as a uniform made a statement, like someone has vetted this guy. He's had to go through some credentialing mm. accreditation. They can look me up on, uh, on the internet and see where I am. And it, it, it represents a uniform in the same way a police officer or fireman might wear a uniform. And so there is something about there is a pastoral office. But I, I also want to say on the both and, and any time that someone leads a shift group and cares for an incoming freshman and helps them, what you're calling spiritual direction, helps them listen to God and try to understand God and the world better, they're doing something pastoral. Anytime an older staff... Mm, yeah. Completely yeah. Agree. So it's, it's just kind of a bit of a both and there. And yeah. I don't know, I go to Ephesians. Well, well, I'll stop there. It's both and yeah, there's a pastoral office and we do pastoral work. Yeah. Yeah. I can I completely agree. Yeah. I think there's some distinctions that, that are helpful to make someplace in here, but I'm not interested in making them here that, that really, I kind of even want to Correct. Set, set that conversation aside and just say the work you have been called to is pastoral work. And so that's what I want to focus on here is who have you been called to be in this particular role in this particular season? And so whether it's a technical pastor or not, so much of the work you'll be doing is pastoral that I do think that in some ways you do kind of start to assume at least a decent chunk of that identity, if not fully. So, um, yeah, well, one of the things I do is you and I kind of stumble through these conversations about what it is to be a pastor. I, I really appreciate uh, his emphasis. I know Eugene Peterson said this, kind of moving over into the preface on 17, Roman numeral 17, where he says, you know, frankly, if you run into someone who claims to be an expert in ministry, you should run the other way. And so I hope they don't hear either of us <laughs> even try to fumble through conversations about what it is to be a pastor, that there are no experts in ministry, and that if you do find somebody who claims to be an expert in ministry, you should you should probably run the other way. Um, you know, I think one of the great parts... Yeah, of Peter... 
I was going to say Peterson, uh, the way Peterson said it is um, all ministers should be amateurs in the best sense of the term. Amateur from the the Latin amo, amat means lover, like the lover of, I'm a lover of God's word. I'm a lover of God's people. So I'm an amateur as a pastor, always an amateur, which kind of keeps you humble in the work as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I'd love to, he emphasizes there on that same page, just the, the idea of that it's good to do this together. I, I love, you know, mm. getting to kind of, this was the first ministry where I was the one who was solely in charge, you know, of the, the head of the, the, the organization, the ministry here. And, uh, and so it was good for me to get to grow alongside people like you, Jeremy Buchanan, Greg Schutte, thinking about, you know, my earliest years, and then, of course, on down through, and so, so many other people, you know, Hannah, Hannah Walbrink and, and, and all the others, uh, Katrina, just Kim, just getting to lead and, and, but particularly for like, for you and, and people like Shuddy and, and Jeremy, people who were like, Hey, kind of saw themselves as being called to be pastors. And so it's helpful for me to get to do this uh, together. And I think that's one of the great benefits of CSF staff is they get to, we get to sort these things through uh, about a lot of different issues, not just pastoral work, but we get to do it together. Well, Marshall, let me ask you a question then along those lines. Um, where, where have you found yourself? How long have you been at CSF now? Uh, this I'm starting my 19th school year. Okay, so you've almost been there 20 years, about 40% of your life. Where, where have you found yourself growing as a pastor over these past 20 years? I mean, it's so unique to stay in one place for so long. It's so unique to stay in one place that focuses on such a particular season of someone's life. I mean, college is such an inflection point on life. Um, That's got to have shaped you in numerous ways as a pastor. Where have you felt your own self over the years growing as a pastor? Yeah, I I just, I think there's just a certain resoluteness of that God has just given me, and, and I, I've prayed it some different times, like, Lord, are, are you releasing me from this? You know, do you want me to stay here? Because I don't just want to stay out of a sense of, a bad sense of habit. Uh, there's good habit, and there's bad habit. I don't want to stay mm-hmm. just have a bad sense of habit. Uh, but I just, you know, I just think God, for n- no more fancy reason than just, just felt like he said, continue to stay. Um, and so as a, as a pastor, I feel like that uh, I'm 50 now. Uh, I was 32 when I started at CSF. So, and I had, I had a baby face. People still say, I look, you know, don't necessarily look my age. I really didn't look my age then. I'd occasionally get the question. Uh, you know, I had a few students ask me if I was a student. I even had a student or two ask if I was a freshman who they bumped into me around the beginning of the school year. And I was like, no, I'm the pastor here. I'm like, this is like my second or third year. I'm like 34, 35. Uh, but, you know, so I, I've moved on from that stage. I don't get those questions anymore. But I, I I think I'm a better helper to students than I once was in the sense that I've got a little more life experience. Uh, you know, as a dad, being a father really shapes you. Uh, and as a pastor, uh, being a husband uh, for longer now shapes you. And so I think I've grown because I've just, I've just, grown as somebody who's tried to love kids, love Shelby, uh, continue to listen to students. Um, I've tried to, in my better moments, realize it's not about me. I think when you're young, you, you have this sense of like, oh, I've got to go out and prove to everyone how, how good I am, how, how great of a preacher I am, how, how wonderful a leader and visionary you are. Um, I, not to say I'm totally, uh, I've totally cast those idols off or down, whichever direction they need to go. But I, 
I think I struggle with them at least a little bit less, or at least a little bit differently than I did when I was when I was a younger pastor. So, um, yeah, I just I just keep going. C.S. Lewis said he wrote the books that he did because uh, he he thought that's he went where the line was weakest. Uh, I know his book on the problem of pain. He said, yeah, I just didn't think there was a good a good popular level book on the problem of suffering and pain out there. And so he was like, oh, no one else is going to write it. I suppose I better. And I suppose for me, with the college years, I just didn't see a lot of other a, a lot of other people, certainly we are not the only ones, I'm not the only one, but but there there did seem to be a little bit of a, a thin part in the line. There weren't as many people serving college students as maybe some other aspects of the church, and so I just felt called to, to go there, and God's just kept me there. I don't, so I don't know if that answers your question, but that's my stumbling, bumbling attempt. No, it, it does. It gets to something uh, I've wondered about you for a while, which is how have you been formed as a pastor? Like I've actually, I wrote that in throughout the book. I'd, I'd love to hear kind of your own because one of the things it talks about is pastoral work is you observe other people, but you also have to just do the work. You have to get in there. And kind of in that response you just gave, uh, a few things came to mind. Uh, there's that passage Paul's writing, I think it's Second Timothy, and he's writing to a young leader, so not unlike your staff. And he says, do the work of an evangelist. Like, preach the gospel in season and out of season, which is like, at all times, when you feel like it and when you don't, you got to keep on just doing it. There's a daily show up and and grind. Just do the work of, of, of showing up and preaching the gospel in season and out of season. Well, one thing I think you've done... Oh, go go ahead. Well, no, no, go go ahead. You can say, and then I, I'll, I'll I'm going to confess. Yeah. Okay. Well, one thing I think you've done well over the years of just that showing up and attention is um, you've always struck me as you're willing, you're willing to be present to the one. And what I mean by that, I, I think of some of the the retreats we've done before, where even the phrase was like "turn around," and it was that story of Jesus. Uh, going on his way to do some really important work to raise um, Jairus' daughter from the dead. He's actually going to do something incredible. And he's touched on the way by the woman with the issue of blood who's been you know, pushed away by the rest of the crowd. And yet Jesus turns around for the one. And I can think of, uh, in your own pastoral ministry, a desire to accomplish big things, some of the things you're talking about of whatever success means in ministry, but accomplishing those, but always a willingness to stop and have a conversation with someone if they need a conversation. Just that pastoral attentiveness or pastoral awareness that you don't feel too hurried to have a conversation with. And I think that's maybe kind of the mark of how you start to live this disposition of a pastor's never too hurried for a person. I don't know how any of that resonates with you, but I was trying to listen to your response and give you some feedback. Well, well, yeah, de- definitely. I think for for me, Eugene Peterson, as as he notes uh, there on page nineteen, is one of his is one of Harold's, uh, you know, primary influences. Thomas Oden, who's been an influence in my own life, and Eugene Peterson, who's been an influence in my life, and I know both those are for you as well. But you know, I think the personally, I see picking up the the Thomas Oden book uh, there now. Uh, if you're listening to this, which you're probably not watching this, Dan Pierre and I are recording this via Zoom, so he just held his uh, Thomas Oden book on theology uh, up to the screen. Um, so we, um, you know, super kind words there uh, for me. I, I appreciate it, and, and hopefully that is something I try to do. I will say, in terms of you ask how I've been formed as a pastor, I, I want to be honest about some what I feel is some kind of deformation as a pastor, uh, you know, working, and I, I've tried to just do the work that, that has been before me, uh, so you want to be humble and just serve in whatever ways you need to, but, you know, I've just this past season of my life, especially the last couple of years with building buildings, really the last three 
three years between Lewis House and, and the CSF building, spending so many time, so many uh, hours and hours and hours and in uh, attention to uh, building details and the like, because there's really not anyone else here to do that. And there's, there's just not a, we don't have a structure like a church would or whatever. We have a board and they're certainly very helpful. I don't mean to say that, but it's just, it, it has taken me away from people in, in ways that I don't like. And so, um, I, I, I just, I, I, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what the long-term assessment of all that is, but I, I don't, I have not felt like I'm living in my best pastoral zone. I'm very capable of building decisions and very things like that. Uh, not that I'm the absolute best, but, but I can juggle different, different things. Um, but it's, it's not been my pastoral favorite times to, to do it because it takes me away from people. It takes me away from the gospel proclamation that, you know, that Harold talks so much about in this book. So, all right, well, let's do this. Uh, you know, I don't know, damn, uh, you know, I, I will say, I will say this. Let me, let me read one more piece from the preface. Let's jump in the introduction, cover a few things there, and then we'll jump off of here. But, um, this is on the top of page 21, a Roman numeral page 21. We'll get into real pages. Don't have to say Roman numerals here. But he says this. He says, um, As a young pastor, I thought the best I could do for people was to give them my own love and compassion. That was, of course, wrongheaded. But I didn't know it way back, way back then. Um, and, you know, I think that's one of the things I just want people to hear on our staff to realize, like, man, the best thing you have to give is not a tender heart of your own, though I hope you do have a tender heart. I hope Jesus has shaped your heart as staff members, but the best thing that you can give to um, to students, to other staff, to just people on campus you come across is the love of Christ. As he notes at the end of that paragraph in 1 John uh, 4, 11, 19, we love because he first loved us. Um, that's that's what we want. We want to say, God, you've, you've loved me. You've shaped my heart. I, I want that heart, that 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 love, that life, uh, to go out into others from you, not just out of my own tenderheartedness, because my own my own tenderheartedness is 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 just not enough. I assume you you no problems with all that. Yeah. Okay. Good. He's giving me the thumbs up here on here. So let's jump in the introduction. I don't know. One or two things just stuck out to you. We're not going to cover everything in the introduction. I thought there was a lot of rich, good, good stuff on here, uh, or in here about just, you know, lessons he learned being a farmer, which is interesting that you can learn, you know, a lot about care for the land, uh, and, and care for animals and, and how it, you know, overlaps with care for people. Certainly people are, are not, you know, Care for cattle is different than care for people, uh, but I will say one of the the things that I, I love, and I just love the title. It's at the end of the uh, page two, where he just talks about um, the craft of the care and cure of souls, and I, I like that he sets up being a pastor as is this art, this craft. There's some science. There's some hey, how do you understand and interpret scripture and theology? But at the end of the day, there's a craft and care, uh, the craft of the care and cure of souls. And I, I think both those things are important. We want to care for people as they're hurting and wounded and 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 just being in a fallen world, they just need uh, our our special care and attention, but also the cure of souls. And I think that word is often overlooked, um, the cure of souls, because I think we live in kind of a, a world that just is kind of like Humpty Dumpty, you know, 
it's it, well that you know all the king's horses all the king's men couldn't put Humpty back together again I think we live in a world that embraces brokenness but we don't embrace the the divine power for healing um, and, and I realize that's a really complicated topic and a hard topic and um, you, you you struggle with going hey why do some people talk about man I found full healing and just man I felt like whatever was ailing me and whatever dimension it was I'm cured of that and other people go many years decades sometimes their whole life and say hey I never experienced that full cure that I was looking for. But I do think that's our aim. I, I don't think it's simply to to be therapeutic and to say, well, here's ways that you can adjust and kind of psychologically uh, kind of wrap your, your mind around uh, how to deal with your past or whatever. I, I really I really want us to use words like cure, um, that, that God really can cure people. Again, I don't want to overuse that. I think that can be abused. Uh, so I don't, I don't want to set it out uh, to say, gosh, everything you bring to God, he's instantly going to cure, or maybe even over many years going to cure. But I do think we should hold that out as, as a hope and a possibility because God, God is in the business of curing us, particularly as it relates to, to sin in our life. Yeah, I mean, one of the primary ways we translate the New Testament word sozdo, we often translate it just saved, but in the Greek, it much more connotes with healing, with full health and restoration. And so I think you're you're right on there. I'm holding in my hand uh, St. Gregory the Greats. This is the, the Pastoral Rule classic book for all pastors, and it's one of the most— Which we, ha- which we have in our library. To go check it out, one of the— uh, most just time-honored ways of talking about a pastor is a soul physician, someone who attends to the soul and helps bring helps bring healing and wholeness there, not by their own power, but by applying Christ, helping the person to encounter Christ through His Word. There, I want to read something on page six. This is a longer quote, but um, but wraps maybe wraps up this chapter, this introduction a little bit. It says, "Christ's sheep are not all that easy to tend. They have minds of their own." They tend to wander off in strange directions and get lost in the most dangerous predicaments. There are diseases to diagnose and treat, predators to warn against and fend off, and there is manure to shovel. There's always one mess or another to clean up in the church, and there's good reason for that, because every believing soul is also a sinner, and sinners sin. Whether they sin against each other or their pastors, we are called to love them anyway and forgive them just as Jesus has. And I would say when it comes to some of the pastoral work, that has been one of the most true statements for me is that people are people. And they're just they're, though we are aiming towards healing, there is going to be just mess along the way. And the, I think the work of the pastor is to pray for, to comfort, to be with, to offer, as we'll talk about, the words of Christ, the words of the gospel, the words of forgiveness, big picture things, things of ultimate importance. And, um, and it happens in these day-to-day sense of, you know, attending to the person in front of them. Just these, these little sheep that keep on wandering away. Our, our job is, uh, is to sheepdog, to, to kind of pull back to Christ and say, look, Christ has healing for you. Christ has, he has the goods for you that you're seeking, the, the fulfillment of every desire you have. Yeah, I think likewise, as you, as you talk about t- tending to sheep who want to go astray, uh, the other thing, one of the other things he talks about here, and the last thing I'll hit, and we'll wrap up this this uh, this section of the podcast, but is just patience. 
that it takes a long time uh, sometimes. I, I know if my life is any testimony at, at 50, uh, God's done some work, definitely, uh, but there's plenty of work still to do. And, and, and so it does take years, decades. I do trust that eventually, as Philippians 1 says, he's going to eventually bring it to completion, but, but it may take longer than I realize. And so if that's the case for my own heart, I, I need to be patient with others and, and to, to, to manifest patience and to ask for the, the Spirit to, to give me that, that type of fruit in my life, of, which is one of the fruits of the spirits of patience. I think that's a really important, uh, really important aspect of pastoring because it's easy to give up on people um, if we're working out of our own flesh and, and our own sense of like timing because it's like, oh, I've met with this student so many times and they continue to struggle with porn or they continue to do you know, whatever it is. Um, but to say, you know what, I, I want to be long suffering here with this person as I walk, walk with them. Mm-hmm. On on that, I know you just said it's the last thing, but don't get, I mean, we shouldn't overlook the metaphor is farming. It's not manufacturing. You are not called, this pastoral work is not called to make widgets. It's not called to say, if I do this Bible study with this person, I get this outcome. No, you don't. You can throw all the seed in the field you want. And if it doesn't rain, if the sun doesn't shine, it doesn't grow the way you want. If thorns are in the way, I, you just don't know. And so there must be patience. There must be attention and a, and a sense of not turning a person into a project, into a widget to be managed, but rather the, the ground, the soil to be known and, and trusting that God is doing his work in their life. Yeah, I agree. So much more could be said, but we'll leave that to some of the groups as people discuss. And hopefully this was helpful for you all as you all begin to dive in. And uh, we'll talk some more as we get into chapter one about what is pastor. pastoring.